So Netflix released this film, Run Rabbit Run, uh, back in June, I want to say, June or July. And uh, it was one of these films that was kind of similar to a couple of films I've already spoken about this year when it comes to horror films. It kind of did its indie thing, you know, it went on Sundance. I think it did very well at Sundance, so Netflix was like, okay, we're we're going to distribute it. So now with Netflix distributing it, it kind of came to all of our attentions and it got more widespread acknowledgement, which led its ratings to kind of go pretty mid. And I'm not going to lie that I didn't necessarily not enjoy it, but I could also see the why the mid reviews are sort of there. Um, it's an Australian film. Doesn't really have anybody in it that uh, I recognize. I don't recognize the director uh, or the writer um, for this film. I do like the the element of what the sort of title is based on, although I really don't get what the title has to necessarily do with the film. But then again, that's also a factor that plays into the idea of this being a psychological horror. Because essentially what the premise of the film is that you have this mother and daughter duo, and she's kind of going through this divorce, so she's trying to handle... Uh, sort of how her daughter is dealing with that, but also how she's dealing with that. So it kind of shows how her life is, you know, relatively mediocre. And certain things start happening after the daughter's birthday. And that's kind of meant to lead you down this idea that it's it's something to do with the daughter in some way. Now, mind you, this is a psychological horror, but it does a lot of, like, twists and turns to point you in some different directions. And I think one of the biggest problems that a lot of people have with it, which is why most people aren't really like, like they don't really like it that much, is because a lot of these twists and turns, they don't really lead to a lot. You know, like you're, you're expecting certain things to happen, certain points in a storyline that, that face you in different directions to eventually lead to something. And sometimes things feel a little pointless in a way, you know, like... Uh, she's there are certain points where she's wearing a mask and you almost think that it's a sort of possession tale because she starts pretending to be this sister you know an aunt that the little girl never knew because she died when she was really young and you get introduced to that storyline and then you meet the mother who is slowly dialing not dying actually is slowly getting um is, uh, she has dementia. I can't think of the word right now, but she has dementia, and it's slowly but surely, like, getting worse with her. And she sees the little girl, and the little girl's like, oh, that's my Alice, and Alice was the sister's name. And the little girl kind of feeds into it as well. So it's weird that, like, you're sort of pointing to the idea that this might be a possession story, which also kind of leads to maybe it being a ghost story. You know, like, it's the ghost of the sister coming to haunt the daughter of, you know, the older, the mother, who's now the older sister. And you never get led into why that happens. And then, you know, you you do learn that she dies very young. And so the birthday kind of leads to some symbolism that leads to the, where the spirit of the sister comes from. Because you can draw to the conclusion that the sister died when she was young. Probably, probably the age of this little girl that we're introduced to her. At the night of her birthday. So yeah, maybe there's this sort of like possession connection to it, which they don't really mention. They don't talk about it, really. You just kind of see these things that are sort of supernatural-esque. But then 
they sort of abandoned that sometime towards like the middle of the end of the second act where you also start thinking that it's not really the daughter that might be possessed. It could be there's something wrong with the mother and maybe the mother is seeing these things that it's all in the mother's head and it's just her over exaggerating or we're meant to see it from her perspective as well, you know, and as the second act comes to a close and you get into the third act, they go back to their childhood home where she's kind of reliving the trauma of being in that home. And, you know, the daughter starts acting up and you start seeing, you know, the spirits kind of walking around. And there's this sort of pivotal scene about halfway through the third act where you uh, it opens up on the mother lying on the floor semi unconscious. And she's drawing really fast, all black with a black marker, which goes back to something earlier in the film that we saw that we thought we saw that the daughter had done. So you think you're thinking the daughter is the one doing this. And now you're led to it being the mother is doing it. So she's sort of unconscious and maybe it's not a matter of it being a ghost or possession. Maybe it really is that she has something psychologically wrong with her. And that's what's leading her down this path of not realizing that it's her almost sort of like malignant in a way, how malignant was that she didn't know she was the killer because the killer was this sentient being in the back of her head, sort of like what that does. But even that it sort of just abandons within seconds. It abandons it because then you start learning how the, the sister died when she was really young and what that trauma was to her. So now is it in her head? Is it not in her head? Is it really a ghost? Is it not a ghost? You know, I've heard some theories about um, like the rabbit is how the spirit of the sister gets back into their life. So the rabbit, which, which I guess the only premise of the film, run rabbit run, there's a, the, the daughter finds a rabbit in the very beginning of the film. And there's this theory. I saw that the, the spirit of the sister was in the rabbit. And then the, that's how it got to the daughter. Cause the daughter's like, I want to keep the rabbit now. And all of a sudden again, night of her birthday, she starts acting up because that's the spirit of the sister. Who's taken over the daughter. Now, it could be that the spirit of the sister was actually trying to get to her alive sister who's grown up and has this daughter now and is like, it really wants her, this, the older sister it wants. And when it gets that older sister, it makes her go insane. So you could say it has something to do with that, but it really doesn't close off any of those, any of those questions. You know, it's kind of a left to interpretation kind of film which is not something you necessarily want, especially when it comes to his ending. Like, I, I don't mind spoiling the ending a little bit just because this film's been out for a while, and if you haven't seen it already, I'm not even going to say that you should watch it. It's kind of a at-your-own-risk kind of thing, not for the fact of it being, like, gory or unwatchable, just like a, you know, expect to have a lot of questions by the time it's over, and I don't know if that's what you're looking for, but by the end of it, you learn that... There sort of is a spirit because the mother sees the spirit of the sister drag the well not drag the little girl but hand holding hands with the the daughter walking over to a cliff and the cliff is uh, symbolic of how the sister had died so you sort of get this idea that now the sister is going to take the daughter and lead her off the cliff the same way that the mother um, oh by the way if you if I didn't say it already. 
the mother actually killed the sister. They were fighting when they were really young, and she pushed her, and she went falling off the cliff. So the sister's taking her daughter now to the cliff. And that's how the movie ends. You're, at, you're left not knowing if it really was a spirit or if it's just the, the, the psychological state of the mother who sees it. Because the other thing is she sees it, and it's not like she's trapped. You know, she's in the house. She wakes up after, like, this rough night of how you think that it's going to be over, and then she wakes up, the daughter's missing, and she sees her outside the window. There could easily have been a scene to kind of close out the whole thing of the mother chasing down what she thinks is the daughter being, being led by the sister that she, you know, accidentally killed, and then she goes flying off the edge. That would have been a perfect ending. But the ending is so ambiguous, it doesn't answer the question of... Is it a spirit thing? Is it a possession thing? Is it, you know, a psychosocial thing? Is the mother really crazy? Is she not crazy? Was it the daughter? Was it not the daughter? Sometimes you have films that will leave you with a lot of these questions. But I I feel like Inception, like the ending to the film Inception, has kind of ruined that for a lot of people. Because the ending to the film Inception is really left up to interpretation. I don't believe Christopher Nolan has ever said anything about whether or not the the ending of what exactly happens at the ending of Inception. And you have a lot of directors that kind of try to pull that off because of something like that. And I'm not saying Christopher Nolan is like the starting point of it, but he's probably the most modern one in the last two decades, at least, at least in the 2000s era of film, where you have a lot of these directors that leave these ambiguous endings that some people don't necessarily appreciate and some are left still being questioned. This isn't the kind of film that sort of needs to be left with that opening of that question. And maybe it's a little bit more obvious to some people who watched it where it was, yeah, it actually was a possession the whole time. But to me, I didn't get that. To me, I'm still asking questions. And we asked questions like myself, my wife, my in-laws. We had everybody watch this film and give their own interpretation. And truthfully, not one person had the same outlook of the film, which is good. You want people to have different perspectives on a film like this. But you also want resolution, you know? It's almost like the director of um, uh, Mother from 2017. What was his name? What was his name? What was his name? What was his name? Darren. I believe his last name is something that I I have trouble um, pronouncing, but it's Darren something. Uh, Darren Aronofsky, I believe is how it's said. Aronofsky? Yeah, okay. So you got Darren Aronofsky in Mother in 2017. That's also a film that was sort of left to interpretation until a lot of people started really digging deep into what its actual meaning was. And eventually, you know, Darren Darren Aronofsky had come out and said a lot of details about the film so it kind of helped people's interpretation because he realized he had to do that. You know, you're talking about a film that left so many people questioning so much that eventually he had to come out and say it. I don't know if Run, Rabbit, Run is going to force the the writer or the director to come out and say anything new about this film. I don't think it's gotten that big, that good of a reception, I should say, to warrant any sort of explanation like that. So it's kind of just left to really be ambiguous to you as the watcher. And I don't know if that means it's more worth it or less worth it. I just, I'm not denying that it was enjoyable for a one-time watch-through, but I would not watch it again you know these this is kind of one of those films that's kind of just going to go back onto the shelf and i'll probably never touch unless i have to introduce somebody to it but netflix is probably going to do that job for me to be honest